Acts chapter 9, verse 17. That's where we're going to begin today. <clears throat> and Ananias went his way and entered into the house. And putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about something that I believe is vital to uh, a Christian's life. Uh, there's a whole lot of us that go without it, but doesn't make it any less important or any less vital. But I believe that the enemy wants you to be weaponless. Uh, let's face it. If uh, somehow the enemies of the United States were to find a way to take away all of our weapons, they could pretty much have their way with us, right? They could force us to do whatever. That doesn't mean we wouldn't still fight, right? We can, we can fight with bare knuckles if we have to. But when you are opposing an enemy with a greater weapon, you submit to whatever they want, basically, whether you want to or not, because they are a force greater than you. So the enemy wants us to be weaponless, right? That's what he, his desire is because if we have no weapon that, that can be stronger than him, he can have his way with us. So, that doesn't mean we don't still fight back. We do. But what is your attack then? It's pretty minimal. So here what we see in this scripture this morning, we see... Uh, you know, we kind of skipped ahead. We missed the part where Saul is on the road to Damascus and Jesus appears to him and, uh, and kind of speaks to him and he blinds him and tells him to go into Damascus and wait. And uh, God uh, speaks to Ananias and tells him to go and, and say these things to Paul. And I want you to really see the reason why I only read that one verse is because the end of that verse is the most important part. He says, I came that you would receive sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? What was the purpose in that? Because Paul needed that thing that was given to those disciples on the day of Pentecost. He needed that same empowerment. He needed that same weapon on his side so that as he went into the world doing the work that God had called him to do, he would be empowered by the Holy One to do that work. He couldn't do it on his own, right? He, he didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about other things. He said, I came to give you sight and to be filled with the Holy Ghost. That was the most important topic of the hour. There wasn't any point dwelling on anything else. This is the thing I came to do. Okay, so that kind of stresses to you the great importance of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, you can get into all kinds of different topics. There's many people that believe that the works of the Holy Spirit ceased. There's many people that believe they still continue today. I'm not here to debate that with you today. Let's face it, you are in a full gospel church. You knew that before you came. We believe that the Holy Spirit is still just as functional today as He ha ever has been. He doesn't at any point in time diminish in power. Things didn't run out, right? So we believe that He's still in operation today. 
So he, Paul needed this power to begin his ministry. You turn over to Acts chapter 19 with me. <clears throat> we skip ahead a little bit, and now Paul is going about doing the work that he was called to do. In verse 1 it says, It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Now, who were these people? They were already disciples of Jesus Christ, right? They followed Him. They were believers. These were not people that just didn't know anything about God, right? It says He found disciples. He said unto them, what was His first question? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Okay? Why is that the first question he asked them? Because it's of the utmost importance if you're going to serve God in any capacity. You need the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And let's face it, we all know that the Holy Ghost comes and dwells within you when you are, when you receive salvation. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about something that's totally separate because he said, have you received it since you believed? Okay, this is a separate event. And what do they say? He says, And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. They don't even know what he's talking about. Evidently, some events have transpired that they're not privy to. Right? He said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said, Paul, we need to make this right. <laughs> right? You're running a little behind, guys. Then said, Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on Him which should come after Him. That is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They didn't stand around arguing with Paul. They said, oh, is that right? Well, we need to make things right. We need to get baptized. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, notice now, there is an order to the way God does things. Right? He doesn't just say, you know, it's not just a willy-nilly circumstance that takes place. There's an order to the way God does things. First of all, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So these men, already being believers in Jesus Christ, already understanding that, received the baptism of Jesus Christ, and then were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why? So they could go about doing the work God had called them to do. Now I want you all to understand something. that This is just one example time after time after time when people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit shortly thereafter. Why? Because they needed it. It was necessary. But yet what we have today is a, is a whole world full of Christians that have lost the, the, the sight of the importance of the Holy Spirit. 
I handle it on my own. You can go fight on your own. Yeah. Just like that little illustration I gave you a while ago. A nation without any weapons can go fight. But who has the upper hand? Y'all, the Word tells us that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Notice the words there. Spirit of fear. He didn't give us that. He gave us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. That's the one spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, if that is in operation in your life, you have power. You don't have to worry about where am I going to get my strength. You don't have to worry about how am I going to attack this problem in my life. How am I going to overcome? Because see, the Word tells us that through Jesus Christ, we're made more than conquerors. We have power. It's available. It's accessible. But what we do a lot of times is we deny that power. What does the Word say about that? It says that they have a form of godliness denying the power thereof. So, I'm a Christian. But I don't understand anything about the power. Just like these disciples that Paul encountered at Ephesus. Yes, we're disciples of Jesus Christ. What are you talking about? Holy Ghost. I don't know nothing about that. They didn't understand the power. But as soon as they received it, what did they do? They began to speak with tongues and prophesy. Now you may say, well, that kind of freaks me out. That may be, may sound kind of weird. I don't understand it. Well, you don't have to understand it. I'm here to tell you today that the Word of God tells you that this is important. The enemy wants you weaponless. You know how he does that? Through ignorance. He can lie to you when, when there's ignorance. But if you have knowledge, you can overcome that. The lies of the devil, the wiles of the devil, are defeated by the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. Once again, notice that's the first question Paul asked these guys. First one. Why is that the first question? Well, he already knew the answer to the real first question. Because it says they were disciples. See, our first question is, are you saved? We ought to ask that more to people. Hey, do you know Jesus? You talk about catching some people off guard, man. Stuttering and stammering. You watch. Try it and see. Hey, do you know Jesus? I, 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 I believe in God. I mean, what I ask you. <laughs> There's boldness in the Word of God, y'all. There's boldness. You say, well, I'm too timid to ask people that kind of stuff. Well, use the Word of God. You won't be timid. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I know, I'm giving y'all a lot of Scripture today, but there's a lot to cover. And I'm just going to scratch the surface this morning. I wish... Maybe someday I will. I wish I was one of those guys, man, that just... Those theologians, you know what I mean? The guys that just know every little Scripture and can sit down and talk for hours about just how this happened and this over here. And Y'all are already getting bored hearing that, ain't you? 
it can be boring. But I still wish I had that kind of capacity, you know. And it only comes from lots and lots of study. Some of those guys want to impress you with how smart they are. And I know I don't do that. (laughs) Not for lack of trying. Chapter 14, verse 1. Follow after charity. Now y'all, Paul is instructing the Corinthian church here. Okay? And I want you to just... I know there are some that don't believe these things are still in place today. Okay? I, I do. I hope I can counteract a little bit of that today. Maybe instill a little bit of doubt in those beliefs. Okay? I'm not trying to talk down to you in any way today. I understand everybody has their their own beliefs, but what I want to do is, is show you what the Word of God says. I want you to see how important the Holy Spirit was all throughout this. Okay? I just I find it real hard to believe that something that was so important would cease. Okay? Verse 1, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Okay, so he, he's talking to someone that probably has already been filled with the Holy Spirit. But he's telling them you should desire spiritual gifts. Okay? We could get into a whole big long discussion about what those spiritual gifts are. I'm not here to do that today. But he's telling them they should desire spiritual gifts. That, he said, but rather that you may prophesy. Why? Well, let's go on and see. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. So you see, speaking in tongues is not a bad thing. He's saying, but that's for you. That's your personal communication with God. But someone that can prophesy... You can build up the entire church through the prophecy. So what we should do is, is yeah, and if you, you can argue this point also, you look at many different instances in the Bible where someone received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, nine times out of ten, they spake with, in, in other tongues right then. Okay, so we can discuss that if you want to at some other point. But that seems to be the general consensus that when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues. You go on to read, you'll see that Paul says as the least of all the gifts, right? Because it's common. It's given to those that are filled with the Holy Spirit. So that speaking in tongues is for you. It edifies you. It builds you up. But other gifts should be desired. Greater gifts should be desired. Why? For the furtherance of the kingdom of God. That the entire body of Christ might be built up and edified and exhorted to do other things. How would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesied than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? 
except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying, prophesying or by doctrine. So Paul kind of confirms what I'm saying there. But you see here, he's instructing them. Once again, why would he need to include this in Scripture? Why is it there? It's there for our instruction. It's there to show us how things ought to work. Why? Because those things still are in play today. Guys, when I begin to speak in tongues, I don't sit around and look to see if somebody watching me. I'm not delusional. I don't come up with this stuff on my own. It's not something I would try to make up on my own. I have to believe it's from God. It's one of those things that's very hard to describe to someone else until they've experienced it. Does that make it wrong? Does that make it false because I can't describe it? No, there's a lot of things I can't describe in this world that are very tangible. They still happen, whether I understand them or not. Skip down to verse 18. He says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding than by my voice I might teach others also. Than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Where, and then verse 39, if you skip on down to there, he says, Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Okay? So we have another instruction there. There's a lot of denominations today that would, that would just pretty much kick you out of the church if you came in there trying to speak in tongues. So I want you to see today, Paul was instructing the church in Corinth, don't forbid people to speak with tongues. Okay? At what point am I supposed to begin to ignore what Paul is saying there? Y'all, I find it hard to dismiss these things. Okay, there is a Scripture, and I just want to kind of bring everyone up to speed. There is a Scripture that people use at the end of verse 13, or chapter 13. He says that he's talking about love, how it will never cease, but, but the works of the Spirit will cease when perfection has come. And there's lots of argument that that's already happened. They're talking about the canonization of Scripture. Well, eh, hold on. <laughs> I don't know. I see it different. So we can argue those things all day long if you want to. But what I'm here to do today to tell you is that the Holy Spirit is available. Okay? The enemy wants you weaponless. The enemy wants to insert doubt into your mind saying these things are not possible. Why would he do that? Because he don't want you to have it. Because He knows if you ever receive it, He don't have a hope. The more Christians that receive the Holy Spirit, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the more formidable the force is against Him. The more that can be saved then. Because let's face it, y'all, it doesn't matter how well I can prepare a sermon. Doesn't matter, and I'm not that good at it. Doesn't matter how eloquently I can speak, and I don't do either one of those very well. None of that matters. If the Holy Spirit is not working in you before I ever say a word. See, if the Holy Spirit is not tempering my words before they hit your ear, doesn't do you any good. Doesn't do any good. He is the one that can open those, those portals of your heart to receive that word. 
He can take a stony heart and make it flesh. He's the one that can do that kind of work. Doesn't matter what I say. Doesn't matter how I say it. If He's not at work in it, it's not going to be any good. See, the Word tells us that His Word will not return void. His Word. Not mine. Mine will. My words go out all the time and just nothing happens. But see, when the Word of God comes, I guarantee you, even if you don't immediately see the return, there will be a return to His Word. It's going to touch you in some way. There may be just a little thought that you just can't get out of your head until another Word comes and changes you. But His Word's not going to return void. It's not going to be empty. Y'all, I'm telling you these things today because the church is weak. That's not God's doing. God is not the one that lets you down. You see, if you, y'all, the Great Commission has not been fulfilled yet. Think about that now. What were these disciples, these apostles, all these people sent out to do? Fulfill that great commission. It's not done. Okay? So that tells me that there was a limit to how long they could be here, but there ain't no limit to how long God is here. Okay? So there will come a day when God says that's enough and He's going to send His Son. Do y'all understand how the rapture works? I don't. But it's still going to happen. I don't understand how God's going to do all that stuff, but He does it anyway. Y'all, I'm telling you today that the church is weak because they have denied the power of God. They have said, you know what? I'll handle it on my own. God, thank you for salvation, but I've got my own power. I can do this in. You're weak. You're standing against an enemy that is very powerful and formidable against you. But... If you stand in the power of God, in the power of His might, and you put on that whole armor of God, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have baptized, been baptized in fire, I guarantee you there is no force that can stand against you. What I'm telling you today is what the Word says. The Word says no weapon formed against you will prosper. Do you know how that works? It only works when you are full of the Holy Ghost. He is the source of strength. He is my source of power. If not for Him, I cannot stand against the enemy. I've tried on my own and I fail. Every time I raise up against him, you know what he does? He says, sit down, son. But if I stand up under the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and I command him in the name of Jesus Christ, you know what he does? He bows out and walks away. There's a difference, isn't there? There is a difference. Y'all, how do you do that? Well, any Christian can say in the name of Jesus, right? It's not the same. See, it's not just about using the name of Jesus. It's not. The Holy Spirit working in me allows me to do things I'd never do on my own. Y'all, I'm getting to a point now I'm just going to start talking on my own. So I need to back off. 
And I'm going to turn it over to you. Listen. He said here that you should desire spiritual gifts. He said you should desire the best gifts. What that does is it tells you something about the attitude you ought to have as a Christian. Okay? So let's forget everything we know about Christianity for a minute. What I want you to do is just focus on that statement. Desire the best gifts. See, as a child of God, I should desire the best my Father has for me. As a kid, did y'all ever desire your parents to just give you whatever was laying around? No, you wanted the good stuff, right? Daddy, I want that. Mama, I want that. You desired the best things. Not one time did I ever go to my parents and say, okay, here's three options of bicycles I would like, but I want the cheaper one. No, kids don't think that way. They say, I want that one, man. That thing looks cool. It's got all this stuff on it. I want that one. And sometimes the parents have to compromise and say, well, can't afford that one. It's $500. We'll get you this one. It looks nice too. Okay, well, that's good enough. But see, that's, that's the world right there. See, we should have that same childlike attitude when we go to the Father and say, God, I want that one. God, I want that right there. That's why Paul's telling you, desire the gift of prophecy. What, why is prophecy so important? Because it gives you an insight into things that are to come. Not only the future, but what God is doing. What God would have you to do where your blessings reside. How many of y'all know blessings are in the will of God? Blessings are in His work. In His service. So prophecy gives you insight to that. It can even correct you where you're going wrong. That's why it's so wonderful. Why it's so desirable. But we don't desire those things. Y'all, we're, we're, we're ate up with everything else the world has to offer. We're ate up with all these other things that, that have filled us. And we're full. Complacent and lazy. Y'all remember what it was like when you were first saved? A lot of y'all don't remember, do you? You don't forget. I see a lot of heads shaking. Maybe y'all do remember. Yeah. Y'all remember, don't you? When you were first saved, there was a zeal of fire burning within you, and you said, oh man, I want everything. Right? I want everything you got, God. Give it all to me. Because you had that childlike nature within you. Jesus said, you're not going to come to me unless you come like them. And that's what we've all got away from. We got away from that childlike nature because we're just too mature in Christ. We shouldn't act. Oh, that, you know, they're new Christians. They can act that way. What? Does that make any sense? Not a lick. We should still have that same zeal for God. Because let's face it, there ain't no better uh, prize out there than what God has to give you. There ain't nothing in this world you could desire that tops what He has. In fact, the things the world offers are just cheap, pathetic imitations. Y'all have never used drugs, but I've talked to people that have, people that have 
later been saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, and they said it is just a cheap imitation of what the Holy Spirit is like. That's what the devil wants to do. He imitates God. He tries to trick and be cunning in that way. I've got something just as good over here. And you don't have to submit to that old tyrant. That's how he looks at it. But y'all, it's not submission like that. We're submitting to God because He's got the best. Man, I give it to Him because He wants nothing but the best for me. 